ask you to open up your Bibles. If you have a Bible, open it up to Exodus chapter 35. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles there in the pew that you can use, can keep, if you don't have a Bible of your own. But open up to Exodus chapter 35, and when you get to chapter 35 in Exodus, we're going to start at verse 29 in just a sec. Let's take a moment. Exodus 35, looking for verse 29, and as we're getting there, I want to acknowledge that celebrating beginnings is important. You know, marking the start of a journey reminds us where we came from. It also provides a point of reorientation if we forget somehow along the way where we were going. You know, the, the trip began here. This moment pushed us to move forward. And somewhere along the way, if we lost sight of our destination, of why we ever started heading in this direction at all, we go back to the beginning. Well, today, we celebrate a beginning. Today, we celebrate the moment of our creation as the church, a beginning that we know as Pentecost. Pentecost is our birthday, the day the Spirit of God descended upon the people and inspired them to be the living, breathing body of Christ in the world. Pentecost is our start, but it is not the first time that the Holy Spirit shows up in Scripture. As we heard during the sacrament of baptism with Gavin, the Spirit descended upon Jesus when he was baptized in the Jordan River. But even long before that, the Spirit, we are told at the very beginning, hovered over the waters at the genesis, the creation of the universe. And in between both of those is a very specific time when the Holy Spirit came upon the children of Israel as they made camp in the wilderness. At the base of Mount Sinai, the Lord told the people to bring an offering. We've talked about this in the last few weeks. The Lord, through Moses, provided the blueprints for a tent for God's presence, a thing known as the tabernacle. But what we haven't gotten to yet is what happened next. What happened next here in the book of Exodus is the Old Testament's version of Pentecost. So I invite you, if you've got those Bibles open, Exodus 35, starting with verse 29, read along with me. All the Israelite men and women who were willing brought to the Lord free will offerings for all the work the Lord, through Moses, had commanded them to do. Then the Lord said to the Israelites, See, the Lord has chosen Bizel, son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, ability, and knowledge in all kinds of crafts to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of artistic craftsmanship. And he has given both him and Olahab, the son of Ishamak, son of the tribe of Dan, the ability to teach others. He has filled them with skill to do all kinds of work as craftsmen, designers, embroiderers in blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and fine linen, and weavers, all of them, master craftsmen and designers. So Bizzle and Olahab and every skilled person to whom the Lord has given skill and ability to know how to carry out all the work of constructing the sanctuary are to do the work just as the Lord commanded. Then Moses summoned Bizzle and Olahab and every skilled person to whom the Lord had given the ability and who was willing to come and do the work. They received from Moses all the offerings the Israelites had brought to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary. And the people continued to bring free will offerings morning after morning. So all the skilled craftsmen who were doing all the work on the sanctuary left their work and said to Moses, the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord commanded to be done. And Moses gave an order. 
And they sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because what they had already was more than enough to do all the work. Beloved, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I could ask this to the confirmation students today, but that wouldn't be fair. It wouldn't be nice. But it, for them and for you, if you were to boil down, if someone asked you to boil down the whole of the gospel, the message and ministry of Jesus Christ to one word, what would it be? Forgiveness? Reconciliation? Love? Peace? Hope? Redemption? Salvation? These are all good and meaningful words that really convey the essence of the gospel. But, but we know, if we go through them all, we know that the perfect word, the perfect and in fact defining word is this, grace. Grace. We hear this word used a lot. We named our church grace. We point to this word, grace, as being the difference when it comes to believing in this God versus believing in other gods. But what is grace? How do we understand this beautiful word? What does grace look like when it's experienced? My brothers and sisters in Christ, I want to suggest to you this morning that this brief interlude as part of the Exodus story offers us an incredible revelation of grace, of grace in action. This brief moment, and it's just a couple of verses, this brief moment in the middle of an epic construction project points ahead to the full manifestation of grace experienced years, decades, centuries later on Pentecost, which we celebrate today. And I want us to enter into this story as a way of appreciating grace and appreciating the fullness of Pentecost. And where it begins in order to appreciate what we have in these verses is someplace that we've already been in our time going through Exodus. But it bears repeating again. When we see this story, this part of the story, it's very, very obvious, I hope, to all of us right at the outset when the Lord starts off and gives the people the instructions to build the tabernacle. It's obvious, I hope, to all of us that the Lord could have built the tabernacle by himself. I mean, what we find in this story is not a situation where God comes and says, you know, he's got a lack of energy. You know, man, I'm really beat. I had to take care of all those seasons. You know, could, could you guys cover this for me? I just got to take a nap. It's not like God comes and, and says, you know, I am really busy right now. The gazelles are getting out of hand in Africa. I got to take care of that. Can you guys cover this for me? It's not like God comes and says, you know, I ran out of stuff. You guys got anything? Because we got to get this done. I mean, again, it's, it's nonsensical because if God is who we proclaim him to be, who we have praised and worshipped him to be, God could have done this by himself. And yet, the Lord invites the people to volunteer to be a part of this building campaign. Grace emerges. Grace begins with the invitation to participate. God, who could have taken care of it by himself, perhaps more so than anything or anyone else we could, we could think of, who could do it by himself, invites the people to volunteer to be a part of the building campaign. And he doesn't force them or coerce them. I know in our, the translation we read, we heard commanded. But that commanded is subsequent to the invitation. When the people say that they're going to be a part of it, then God commands them. 
But it starts off with an invitation. God doesn't force or coerce them. He calls them to freely join the effort. And you have to imagine, I don't know if we've ever stopped to even think about it, that initially for the Israelites, the idea of a building project probably wasn't all that inviting. I mean, and if, you haven't, if you're not tracking with me yet, consider where they had come from. They had lived as slaves in Egypt for centuries, and their life had been centuries of mandated building projects. We looked at the beginning of the Exodus story of how the treasured cities of Egypt were born of the lash of the whip, laid on the foundation of centuries of blood, sweat, and tears, all to the glory of man. And yet God comes and doesn't seek the glory of man first. He seeks his glory and through his glory, the glory of man. But he doesn't seek to build the tabernacle on the backs of the Israelites. He seeks for it to be built through their open hands. It's an invitation. It's not a mandate. And, and we've, we've kind of skipped the order around, we, there's a kind of a big episode that takes place in between when God first invites to what we've just read today that we're going to come to in the fall. We're going to deal with the Ten Commandments in the summer, but we're going to come back to kind of this big deal that we're, we haven't talked about yet that's pretty significant to realize because after the Lord extends his first invitation to be a part of this building project, um, Let's just say the Israelites make a rather large blunder. Let's just say that, we'll get to it later, but the Israelites, when Moses disappears and doesn't come back, the people start to panic. They start to have some of their own ideas, and they decide to have an alternative building project. Let's get our stuff, and let's build an alternative building project, which we'll just call this morning Holy Cow. And Moses will come back and God will come back. And, and again, to put this in perspective of the significance of this, you know, what, the nature of this, this account of this alternative building project is the kind of stuff for you and I, if we hired a contractor, we'd fire them, right? You hire a contractor, right? You talk to them, you meet with them, you, you go over and create the schematics to add a second level to your house. And you leave and then when you come home, hey, what do you know? They remodeled your garage. <laughs> you'd fire that contractor, right? You wouldn't be going, okay, let's start over. You'd be like, we're done. But not this God. In between the first invitation, there is a major blunder, an alternative building project, which isn't just remodeling the garage. It's an offense to this God. It's basically a statement of disbelief. And yet this God doesn't end his relationship with Israel. He doesn't take his business elsewhere. This God repeats his offer. He invites them to participate. Beloved, the entry point of grace if you want to know what it is, you want to experience it, the entry point of grace is the Lord's invitation to participate in what he's up to. God doesn't need our help. God doesn't force our assistance, but God wants us, invites us, calls us. That's where we get that word call. Calls us to be a part of his creation. And God is, that's all that God's about is creation. Creation. God is always about a creative work, and he wants us, calls us, invites us to be a part of that. The starting point of experiencing grace is the blessing of being invited, but even more significantly, that starting point where grace emerges in our life is when we participate, the blessing we receive by participating. So if you're someone who struggles with connecting with grace in your life or understanding it, are you engaging? Have you answered the invitation that God has made in your life to participate? Now, perhaps we hear this and we think, okay, yeah, but uh, look at what was going on. I mean, again, if you step back in a second, God invites the people to participate. But let's look again. God's asking them to be a part of a massive undertaking. 
I mean, consider the size and scope. We, a couple of weeks ago, looked at the finished product of the tabernacle. But consider the size and scope of what God invited the people to be a part of. And consider the size and scope of what God was asking them to participate in was taking place in the middle of nowhere. The desert. And in case we, you, know, you can't visualize it, these are just a, this is just a preliminary list of all the things that would be required of the people. Sewing. Sawing, casting, metalworking, stone cutting, engraving, dyeing, embroidering, cabinet making. In the middle of nowhere, in the desert. Not to mention, if you remember the instructions, it all had to be done according to the Lord, skillfully. And what that means is, don't just slap something together for me in the desert. I want this done with excellence. So initially, that invitation can seem of grace, can almost seem like a bait and switch. And then if we really want to add insult to injury, consider the two individuals who are mentioned to us, Bezel and Olahab, have never built a tabernacle before. Did we ever stop and think about that? Bezel and Olahab never built a tabernacle before. Now, I, I don't know about you, I'm not good at building anything. But this is, for them, the first edition of a divine blueprint. There is no frame of reference Moses comes and says, hey, guys, God wants, to build us a, wants us to build a tabernacle. What? Now, I don't build, but I like jigsaw puzzles. You guys like, anybody like jigsaw puzzles? I like jigsaw puzzles. I, they, I like them. No one likes jigsaw puzzles. Okay, no one's going to do this with me. But I love jigsaw puzzles, but the thing with jigsaw puzzles, when I'm putting them together, I got to have the front of the box. Because I got to see what this thing looks like. Because as I'm sitting there going, does this work? Well, it kind of looks like the box. To put this in perspective, God is giving to the Israelites... A jigsaw puzzle that he wants them to build piece by piece without the cover of the box. There's no reference point. So you imagine along the way they're doing the work. Are we getting this right? Is it supposed to look like that? Now again, hearing this, that sense of, boy, this is not making me inclined to accept God's invitation to participate. This again makes grace seem like a bait and switch. But this is why what also happens in this story is so important. Because in that moment when perhaps the invitation to participate, the call to be a part of it can be intimidating, God says through Moses, tell the people to look and see that the Lord has filled Bezazel and Olahab with his spirit. These guys are suddenly filled with wisdom, understanding, knowledge, and all kinds of skills. It's literally bursting forth from these guys. Because, beloved, the experience of grace begins with the invitation, the call, but it continues. It doesn't stop there. It continues with God's equipping through his Holy Spirit. The empowerment of not only being asked to contribute, invited, but being enabled, empowered to contribute. The gifting to be a part of what's going on. Someone once said, and uh, and it's such a great expression that it gets repeated again and again. It's a great shorthand for this point. God doesn't call the equipped. God equips the called. Bezazel and Olahab are not called because they are equipped. They are equipped because they are called. And so it is for all of us. The experience of grace is God doesn't just invite us. He equips us to participate. And what's really cool about Bezalel and Olahab is that these guys stand out. They stand out from most people in the Bible. They stand out certainly from many of the individuals in the Old Testament because these guys are not prophets. These guys are not judges. These guys aren't kings. These guys, if you will, are blue-collar workers. These guys are blue-collar workers whose names get recorded for all time and even though they're just everyday people like you and me. These seemingly average guys, 
are empowered to shape a little slice of heaven here on earth. And it's not the exception, it's the rule when it comes to this God. Because if you go to Pentecost, which we celebrate today, on the surface, the minute that Peter starts to stand up to speak, what's everybody in the crowd thinking? Peter and the apostles look like your average bunch of wage-earning fishermen and tradesmen. Who are these guys? And then the Holy Spirit shows up. And oh my God. Beloved, Pentecost is about equipping the Holy Spirit enabling each and every member of God's team, all of us, you and I, to be craftsmen, to be artists, to be a creative and skilled participant in God's building of his kingdom. This is not an exception, it's a rule. Have you heard God's invitation and have you answered it so that you might experience the equipping that God gives to what he has called you to? Now, again, when we hear about the, the filling of the Spirit or spiritual gifts, there's lots of great teaching, but sometimes we tend to go to one extreme. And that one extreme is we, we talk about the gifting of the Holy Spirit as if it's some kind of supernatural mutation. You know, I've, I don't know if anybody's seen X-Men. X-Men's out right now, first class, and that's the whole idea of X-Men is these people are human beings, but something happened, and now they, they have this supernatural, this mutation that now they're, they're superheroes. And that's often how we think about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's some kind of add-on or bonus. It's like Spider-Man. You know, Peter Parker was an average guy, and then all of a sudden a radioactive spider bit him, and now he can climb on walls. <laughs> Joe was an average person, but then all of a sudden the Spirit of God filled him, and next thing you know, he's proclaiming the Lord, and he's an evangelist, and he's, he's out there. But the biblical witness is that the gifting of the Holy Spirit is not a supernatural mutation, an add-on or a bonus. Switch, let's switch the paradigm a little bit. Think about this. The gifting or equipping of God through the Holy Spirit is the realization, the manifestation of the love and grace that the Lord poured into us when he made us that now pours out of us when we give ourselves over to him. The Lord doesn't make mistakes when he creates us. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, the scriptures say. So the gifting of the Spirit is not something being additional being poured in, but when we allow ourselves, submit and surrender God as he's created us to the Spirit, then we have unrealized potential unleashed within us. We have base things, you know, things where we go, I'm a little bit good at this. Yeah, I kind of have a talent. All of a sudden, when the power of the Spirit gets unleashed, we see a geometric expression. And for us, it seems like it's new, it's foreign, it came from outside of ourselves. But this isn't God's perspective at all. God's perspective is, as creation, at the, at the very creation of the universe, the Holy Spirit was present. The Holy Spirit was present when each one of us was born. And God poured into us all of the things that would live us to fulfill our destiny. And it's only a matter of will we receive the invitation of grace to be equipped to live into our destiny. And if we are, the Holy Spirit will be unleashed within us. It's creation, God putting it all there, but then the inspiration of the Spirit putting it all together. And isn't that again and again what the Bible promises and speaks of about the gospel? That in Christ we become the people we were always intended to be, that we were meant to be? This is the gifting of the Spirit. We don't become superheroes. We become who we were always created to be. And the significance of this, why this is so important, is if you understand the gifting of the Spirit, the equipping of God in this way, what this means is that every gift of creation, every gift of creation that's done in, in the name of God, 
that's done through the power of God, invention, artistry, healing, every gift of creation becomes realized as a spiritual gift if we give it over to God. We, so many of us have learned that there's a list in the Bible of these are the spiritual gifts. It's not the exhaustive list. Every gift of creation, invention, new ideas, new thoughts, artistry behind you. I don't even know if you noticed when you came in. We have an arts team here at Grace, and they are helping to us to expand our worship through art that helps us to engage worshiping God in a different way. Turn around if you haven't seen it and look what they created for us for Pentecost. The flames, the tongues that came on the day of, of Pentecost, a perspective, a way of understanding that. And I, I was not a part of it, but I can tell you that that was a labor of love. It, 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 there were, it was not easy to put together, but how did it begin? It began from one person hearing the call of God, the invitation, saying yes, and then all of a sudden other people rallied together just like here who were also gifted and the Spirit was unleashed and created this beautiful, inspiring work for us. And as your way out, by the way, as we go into the Ten Commandments, immediately on your right, there's the beginnings of another display for the Ten Commandments. Every gift of creation, every gift that you have can become a spiritual gift if it's given over to God. The best part of this, though, is the end. <laughs> the best part is the, 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 the full circle of grace, the invitation, the equipping, but it comes full circle Answering the call, receiving the grace of invitation, embracing the gifts, experiencing the grace of being equipped leads at the end of this encounter to something surprising and unexpected. There is more than enough. Grace breeds generosity and generosity leads to abundance. Hear that again. Grace breeds generosity and generosity leads to abundance. I repeated it because we get it backwards. We think that abundance leads to generosity. I'll be generous when I have enough. I'll be generous when I'm abundant. When I'm abundant, then I'll be generous. But biblically, grace leads to generosity, and generosity leads to abundance. And the difference between those two definitions of abundance, the first one, ours, well, I'll be generous when I'm abundant. When I've got enough, then I'll be generous, is that kind of abundance is self-serving. That's when I have enough. But biblically, if grace leads to generosity and generosity leads to abundance, that kind of abundance is not if I have enough, it's about we have enough. And the beautiful thing right here is it's not just that we have enough, we have more than enough. Don't miss this in this story. And what this tells us as a community and as individuals, the best motivation for giving is grace. Grace is the best motivation for giving. Not taxes. God doesn't tax the people to build. Not fees, unexpected fees. Not gimmicks. God doesn't say, hey, can I have an hour or half of your time to tell you about what I want to build? And then I'll promise I'll save you for the rest of your life. There's no timeshare presentation here. Grace is the best motivation for giving. Not law. And we do this all the time to each other. We do it in the church. It's not guilt. You should give because what kind of relationship do you have if you're not giving? It's not duty, you should give because that's the right thing to do. There's a hint of truth in all of those things, but God's fundamental primary motivation is grace and grace alone. What's hilarious is the only legalism in this encounter, if you want to get legalistic, the only legalism in, in this encounter is when Moses has to order the people to stop giving. And I don't know if that's ever happened in the church. 
I mean, uh, seriously, in the church, it's always, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if, you know, if we, uh, come on, you can give more. Come on, come on. I was in African-American church sometimes. Some of you heard this story. White people never do this. They took the offering, okay? I'm, I'm there learning, okay? And they come up with the offering like we do. And the African-American pastor I work with, Tim Cyrus, they come up and he would stand, they'd pat the pass, the pastor, and he'd stand up and they'd do the plate and he goes, uh-uh. Because I know you people, you can, you, 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 this is not acceptable offering to the Lord. And I'm sitting back there going, this man is dead. He's done. <laughs> and to my shock, the people outside in the pew were all like, yeah, let's do <laughs> Blew my mind. I've never had the guts to do it, and I'm not doing it this Sunday. <laughs> but generosity, grace. Grace is the best motivation for giving. And here the irony is the people have to be, to be told to stop giving. Think about that, how the beautiful comedy of that. Okay, look, we're trying to work here and they just keep bringing more stuff. Let the people, we, we're good, we're good. Contrast that with often in church, come on, more. No, no, come on, more. No, no, we're good, we're good, we're good. Beloved, this is so important for us to hear, especially in the times in which we live. My gosh. We live in days of scarcity and fear. More and more talk of scarcity and more and more of the fear that comes with it. More and more talk on a personal, communal, national and international scale of deficits and recessions. And it's time for us to stand up as the, in the church, as the church, in the midst of all of this fear and scarcity and to proclaim to the world how we can get back to a balanced economy in our lives and in our communities. And that answer is not one that the, the world's going to hear right away, but it's this. All we need is the Pentecostal gift of grace. All we need is the Holy Spirit. We need to be born anew by the Spirit. We need to learn to breathe, not just from oxygen, but by breathing in the Spirit in and out of our lives every day. We need to be filled afresh with the Spirit, receiving the anointing of the Spirit so that the steps and actions we take are not simply our path, but are walking in the rhythm of the Spirit of God. We need to be communing with the Spirit, drinking in the Spirit and being drunk by the Spirit in order that what we sow and reap is always rooted in our most important relationship, our first love, Jesus Christ. Because it's only through the Holy Spirit that the tabernacle gets built. It's only through the Holy Spirit that the church gets built. It's only through the Holy Spirit that the kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. And what the Lord gives us is unique. There's no puzzle box cover. It's not going to look like anything else the world has ever seen. So we don't have a frame of reference other than to say it is the Spirit. And God has given us an idea of what it will look like. He's invited us to participate. And God has given us all we need so it doesn't take much. You have in the bulletin, if you were here last week, our goals for our community here at Grace. And those goals may seem like a lot, but I'm telling you, as God is my witness, as I am your pastor, if these goals are of the Spirit, if this is God's invitation, if we give what we have together, that means our resources. If we give what we can do, that means our talents. If we give our focus, that means our time. Then the Holy Spirit will be unleashed in this community. And we will find ourselves filled with skills, ability, knowledge that we didn't realize we had. And it's not the exception, it's the rule. All around us, not just select individuals, will be Bazizzles and Olahabs and Peter, Phillips and Pauls. All of us will suddenly, who think we're just ordinary people, will find through the unleashing of the Spirit that we were created to be craftsmen. Orators, artists, tent makers for the kingdom. 
Beloved, I want us a year from now on Pentecost because it'll be a year of living into these goals. I want us a year from now to come together and to come together and be left speechless. I want us to be left speechless and amazed. Speechless and amazed as we see the transformation that the Spirit can do. And speechless and amazed because we look around and we say, you know what, the work got done. It actually happened. And speechless and amazed because we look around and it looks different, the work got done, and we also can say to each other, there's more than enough. There's more than enough. Confirmation students are spread out, so I'm gonna look at you guys, but I know you guys back there, that was a good choice, by the way, sitting back there. <laughs> this message speaks to all of us, but it speaks particularly to you today. I see some with John, too. The Lord has invited you to participate. That is part of what today is about. You are standing up and saying what you believe, but you are saying you understand that God has invited you to participate in what he's doing in this world. And Melissa, you tapped into it in your state faith statement, by all means. Today, when you stand up here, you're saying yes to the reality of grace in your life, the reality of God's participation. But it's only the starting point. As you continue from this day on through this journey of faith, You've got to trust that the Lord will equip you. That by his spirit, he will awaken in you gifts that you didn't even know you had. Gifts that are already within you so that what he is building in and through your life, the work that he has called you to, whatever it is, will come to completion. You will have struggle. You will have challenges. But if you trust that the Lord has equipped you, it will be done. Through it all, confirmands and brothers and sisters in Christ, if we yield to this God, if we receive the grace of the Holy Spirit, we will learn to be generous with others. And at the same time as we learn to be generous, we will find abundance. We will find that we have everything we need. You will find you have everything you need. And in fact, you'll have more than enough to live your life. This is true for them today. This is true for us all. And that is why one of the most sacred prayers of the church is simply this. And I'm going to say it, and then I want you to repeat it back to close this out. It's this simple, and it's our prayer each and every day of our lives. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Say that. Come, Holy Spirit, come. And mean it, because if you say it, you better mean it. Come, Holy Spirit, come. And the second part is, fill the hearts of your faithful. Say it with me. Fill the hearts of your faithful. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.